been forgiven. We know that we received through him eternal life, that we have in him the hope of our own resurrection. I know we yearn, we long for that day to come. We celebrate not merely the the immortality of the spirit or of the soul. We celebrate the resurrection of the body. And there will come that last day when all shall be raised. And we shall meet our Lord. So we give you thanks, our God, for the victory won for us in Jesus Christ. We confess that there are times in which we live as though there is no resurrection. That this life is all that there is. Or that we must earn our way uh, to you. That by our good works, we must win your favor. And as a result, instead of good works, all the more we show our own self-righteousness, our hypocrisy. We break your commandments all the more And we confess this before you. We have not loved you as we ought. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And we confess that we have sinned against you. All the more we give you thanks for the great confession that we have already made in our Lord Jesus Christ. That he has died for the forgiveness of sins. And that work done upon the cross was done once and for all and is sufficient for all of our sins. And so we come again to celebrate, celebrate the new life that we have in our Lord Jesus. Our Father, we pray for this world that is so much in darkness and pray for the light of the gospel to go forth. But we thank you for your church that is worldwide. The brothers and sisters have already been celebrating the resurrection of Christ. There will be those still to celebrate, those who are celebrating with us right now, that we are one but one small voice and a chorus of praise and adoration to Jesus Christ. And not only in the, the chorus of the saints in this world, but the saints who have gone before us, for they are ever singing praise the thanksgiving to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who has risen from the dead. Oh, we look for that day when we will join them together. Meanwhile, our Father, we pray for those who go forth in this world with the light of the gospel, that you may bless their work, that the fruit, there will be fruit born from their labors. We pray that even in our own community, for those who are not worshiping you now, to someday that they may join us in the worship of Jesus Christ because they now know him and they have heard his voice and the voice of the gospel, the voice of forgiveness. Our Father, we pray for ourselves. You know each one of us who are here even now. You know what is going on in our hearts, in our minds. You know the cares that we bring about us. You know our worries. You know our hopes. And all the more we pray that you will feed us, feed us with your word, with the fellowship, with the worship. But particularly, may you open our ears and our hearts to hear the word of God by your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture reading of this morning is going to be John 20, verses 1 through 18. 
Now you are welcome to use uh, Bibles that you'll find in the chairs in front of you. If you use those Bibles, you'll find the, the scripture on page 768. We also have the scripture as an insert in the bulletin, and you're welcome to follow along. Uh, if you're using the Bibles uh, in the church, you'll note that I'm actually reading, I'll be reading from a different version, but it's, it's very close, and I, uh, you will be easy enough to, to follow along. And while you're turning uh, to the scriptures, uh, again, I want to give personal welcome to everyone who is here, and particularly if you're visiting with us, there is no better place to be on the resurrection day than in the house of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're so pleased that you would choose to, to worship with us. I'm so delighted to have the, uh, the musicians behind us. You have to have brass on Easter. You just, you just have to have brass. That's the way to start off. And, um, and the timpani, I um, had always wondered if you use musical notes, and he does. I always thought you just say, hit it real hard, now hit it real fast. But, but he follows the notes there, and we're pleased. Uh, one other thing I want, I want to mention is afterwards, for those who are visiting, we hope you'll go by our Welcome Center. We'd love to give you some information. And particularly, you'll see a smaller table by that. And then there's a lot of materials. I, I, a lot of my sermons I write and have other stories and things that I've done, and you'll find all of that information over there. Now let's turn to the Word of God, John chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And I'll stop there. We'll be going through the whole scripture as we go through the, uh, the message this morning. When Jesus wept, that's what we're told in John 11:35. He was standing in the company of others, and they were weeping over the death of Lazarus, his friend. There was Lazarus' sister Mary. She was at Jesus' feet, weeping. There were the neighbors who had come there to, to mourn with them. They were weeping. And we're told that he was deeply moved and that he began to weep. And we might weep for many reasons. Pain itself can reduce us to tears. Frustration can do so as well. Now, some cry just because of a tender scene. There are those of you, you go to weddings, and it brings out the tears. But the greatest cause of tears is heartache. 
pure and simple heartache, particularly over the loss of a loved one to death. Such is the weeping of Mary Magdalene. Now let's go back and begin with our text again. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. So the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And Mary Magdalene first appears in the Gospel of Luke. He's giving an account of some women who had accompanied Jesus. Let me read it to you. It's from John 8. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusum, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And this is about all that we know of Mary. She had been afflicted by demons, seven of them, and Jesus had cast them out. She was from the city of Magdala. That's a city in the territory of Galilee. It's just on the western coast of the Sea of Galilee. Now, at some point, she had been among the many who had been healed by Jesus. But for her, that, that healing had not been a single episode in which, you know, she's thankful, she was healed, and then she, she went home and, and led her normal life. No, she began to follow Jesus from that time on, along with other women who had been healed by him. Now, with those women, she not only she not, did not merely follow Jesus, but we're told that she and those women helped to provide for them out of their own means. So apparently, Mary was actually a well-to-do in some way. Now many, and there's, kind of, there's been a long tradition of people thinking that Mary had been a prostitute. But there's no reference to that at all in Scripture. All that we know is just what was read from this passage. She had been severely afflicted by the indwelling of evil spirits. Jesus had healed her. And she became devoted to him. And now he was dead. She had watched him die. John tells us earlier that standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. She had witnessed the beatings. She had followed him on that journey to Golgotha. She had seen the the nailing of hands and and feet. She had stood there for those long hours hours of the torturous uh, hanging on the cross. She had watched him yield his last breath. She had seen him taken down from the cross, and then she followed Joseph and and Nicodemus to, to the tomb. She watched them embalm him. And then she saw that stone rolled over the tomb. Her deliverer was gone. Her protector was killed. The one who had loved her 
was no more. And the hopes that had been, been caught up in him, they were dashed to the ground. But she had to see him again. She had to do something to honor him, and, and as did other women who loved him. And so with them, she, she brought spices to anoint his body, even though she had seen Joseph and Nicodemus already taking care of that. But she had to do something. Well, she's not thinking straight. She's impractical. Those women were. They, I mean, how were they going to roll away the stone? Okay. And what did they think they were going to accomplish? But when your heart is grieving, okay, the mind is not always thinking clearly. So they go, and they find the tomb empty. And instead of going in, she's afraid, and she's despairing, and she runs. She runs back to the disciples. Peter and John, they come, they investigate, they kind of scratch their heads, and then they leave, and Mary remains. Her grief has only deepened. You know, they cannot be content with killing her Lord. They have to desecrate his body as well. For so it seemed to her. Where, oh where, have they taken him away? Let's pick back up in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Poor, weeping Mary. I mean, her mind is filled with confusion. Who are these strangers in the tomb? Where is my Lord's body? And now, there, now there's a stranger, and he's asking the same question. Where is my Lord? What have they done with him? You know, how pitiful is her grief? You know, her, her response to, to Jesus is senseless. I mean, Mary, why would the gardener have taken away the body? And, and how are you going to take the body back? Have your tears so drowned your eyes you cannot recognize your Lord, the one whom you so deeply love? Can you not recognize his voice? And then in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary. Rabbanai. My dear teacher. What's in a name? 
Well, apparently love. Mary did not understand when she was called woman, but when she was called by her name, the confusion clears away, as does her grief. And she recognizes Rabbi It means literally, my, my dear teacher. Okay. Jesus isn't merely a teacher. He's Mary's dear teacher. James Montgomery Boyce, he comments on this passage and says that all along that it is love that, that brought Mary to that grave when, when faith and hope would have disappeared. And it is now love that brings recognition once again. Now, it ought to be said at this moment that, that Mary's love, it's not a confused, it's not a mixed love. This is not Mary of Jesus Christ, superstar, who as a, a former prostitute, she doesn't know how to love Jesus. You know, through the eyes of the world, there must always be this element of romantic love. Okay? But through the lens of Scripture, it is always a reverent love. It's a love of one who is devoted to her Lord who had healed her. Now, Mary had evidently fallen at Jesus' feet. She was trying to embrace him. Jesus cautions her not to cling to him. He then sends her back to the disciples to make that trip again to them. And so in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So he's had to go, she's going back to the disciples a second time. That first time in confusion and, and grief. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. The second time, well, with complete clarity of mind and with joy, I have seen the Lord. The first time she went weeping. The second time, her weeping dispelled. Don't you love happy endings? You know, even you tough guys, I know this. You can't tell me that you've never shed a tear at a happy movie, movie ending, especially if it's a sports movie. I, I know you have. But the deep, what's behind all of this is that the deeper the heartache, the deeper the joy. And as uncontrollable as the, the tears of sorrow, so are the tears of sorrow that have been turned into joy. Because at the root of both sorrow and joy is love. Mary Magdalene deeply loved Jesus. She loved him because he had healed her. She had been afflicted and he had removed her affliction. He had brought peace into her body and soul. Mary loved Jesus because of his teaching. He was Rabbani, her, her dear teacher. His words about the kingdom of God had stirred hope in her heart. She had hung into his words of of promise, his his words of, of what that new kingdom was going to be like. Even his instructions on how his disciples were to live. Mary loved Jesus for what he seemed to be, the promised Messiah. The Messiah who would dispel the sorrows, the afflictions of his people, who would set up his new kingdom that he taught about. She loved him even when those hopes were dashed. That's why she had to be at the tomb near his body. 
And oh, that we would have such love. To stay with Jesus, whatever happens. You know, it's easy enough to stay with Jesus early in our lives, particularly, you know, for those of us who can remember that first, you know, spiritual awakening. I mean, how can we not but love Jesus? How can anyone not love Jesus? And then time goes by. The cares of the world seep in. The troubles of life that we did not expect, they wear us down. That, that voice of our Lord that was so clear to us, you know, as we would read his words, it was like we were reading the scriptures for the first time. Or when we communed in, in prayer, or we experienced in, in, in good fellowship or in worship with the others. That voice of, of comfort and of hope and of assurance over time, it fades. And then there, there are those outright attacks on our faith in him. Can we really believe in someone whom we do not see? Can we? Can we really believe, given, you know, there are many other religions, and, and other people feel like they know God as they, whatever he is to them. Can we really believe, given, come on, the modern scientific age? And so the hopes, if they're not dashed altogether, at times they can seem more and more like just wishful thinking. Well, when faith and hope are weakened, will we not still love Jesus? What else will keep faith and hope alive? What else will keep us near him so that we will see him in faith? Yes, Mary loved Jesus. And she loved Jesus because Jesus first loved her. She looked back to the love that had been shown to her through her healing and and through the teaching. And then she thought it ended at the cross. But even so, her love continued. We love Jesus because Jesus first loved us. We too, we we can read and look back at those miracles and, and at his teaching. We too can think of ways and that he's demonstrated his love for us in our lives. But where we're different from Mary is this. It is the very cross to which we look to know how great his love is for us. We know that he died on the cross precisely because he loved us. We know the victory that he won for us out of love. And so if if Mary's love could be sustained because of the love shown to her before the cross, how much more should our love be sustained because of the love shown on the cross? I noted earlier that some had thought that Mary Magdalene had had been a prostitute. And there's a, a reason for why there is that confusion there. Just before that passage that I'd read about introducing Mary Magdalene, then in chapter 7, Luke records an episode in which Jesus is telling a story to a Pharisee that he's having dinner with. And uh, what had happened was a prostitute had come into uh, the, the Pharisee's home while they're having dinner, had fallen at Jesus' feet, is anointing his feet with her tears, and is drying his feet with her hair, and the, and 
The Pharisee, his name is Simon, is scandalized. Now Jesus knows what's happening, and so he then speaks to uh, to Simon, tells him a parable. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, for she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And so I ask you, do you know how many are your sins? Do you understand your sinful condition? And whether you have felt miserable, whether you're kind of a happy-go-lucky person, your debt to God condemns you without hope of ever paying it. But then Jesus paid it on the cross. Now, how much you understand the forgiveness that was won for you determines your love for your Savior. It's that simple. See, the gospel of man does not understand the gospel of God. According to the gospel of man, which is you know, what everyone else believes, look, we're all basically good. Okay? You know, we give way from time to time to sinful tendencies, but God sees we're basically good. He, he loves us as we are. If only we would accept such love, we're going to be okay, all of us, because we are already, we're already okay in our hearts and with God. Well, how can that kind of a gospel understand the cross? Die die for what sin? That's why if you've ever, you know, trying to to talk with someone, you get into arguments, maybe about creation, maybe that's what you like to talk about, or or inerrancy, or, or can the miracles be true or not, they really have no impact on the one who feels no need or little need for forgiveness. But to the one who who does understand their sinful condition. He or she will love much when they see what Jesus had to do to obtain that forgiveness. And they will weep. They will weep before such love. They they will weep for their sins. They will weep for the cost that was paid for their sins. They will weep before the cross and, and before the empty tomb. They will weep even when they know that their Savior has risen from the dead because then their sorrow has turned to joy. He's alive. He is victorious. He has won the victory, our victory. We're forgiven. We're made alive. And we can trust his promise 
that he is the resurrection and the life, and that whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And that everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. The debt is paid. The guilt is wiped out. That's what it means for Jesus to rise from the dead. That is the love by which he has and by which he still loves us. Now, perhaps you saw the, the movie in 2006, Amazing Grace, about William Wilberforce. There's a, a discussion there, a scene in which William Wilberforce is, is talking with his mentor, John Newton. Newton, who is an old man by this time, he makes this statement. He says, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner. And Christ is a great Savior. Now, if you saw that movie, and you know your Lord Jesus Christ, you remember that quote. Because it speaks to every heart who knows the forgiveness of sin that Christ won on the cross. It is a truth that stirs up love yet again for our Savior. Because you see, for us, it's not only that we recognize the love on the cross 2,000 years ago, okay? We're not just kind of like historian lovers. You know, we value the contribution of a historical figure. That that was great what he did way back then. No, we we hear our Savior's voice now. Now, not audibly, certainly not like Mary Magdalene, but yet the Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent to be our helper, he opens our hearts to hear and, and to know the voice of our Savior. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans 8:16. He says, The Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's how ultimately we know. And so in the same manner, the, Savior, the, the, the Spirit conveys to our spirit that we belong to Jesus. And so when Jesus speaks as he does in John 10, We recognize what he is saying. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Note this. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's speaking of us. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And so here we are. You know, in verse 3 of that same chapter, Jesus said that the gatekeeper calls his own sheep by name. Well, he has called our names. And we have heard and we have recognized our Lord and Savior. Just as Mary recognized her Lord when he called her by name. And so now I would ask them, and you, if you heard Jesus call your name, will you, will you listen for your name? Will you accept your condition without him? That you are a great sinner with a debt that you cannot pay. Will you accept that you are afflicted by that sin condition? 
will you accept what took place upon the cross? That Jesus was there to bear your sins. You know, it seems a fearful acceptance, doesn't it? Even, even a humiliating acceptance. You know, I, I can't be that bad. My condition cannot be so terrible. But if it is deep, lasting love that you wish to experience, not a, not a temporal kind of romantic love that, you know, however intense it may seem, it's going to lightly pass in time. If you wish, as Jesus said, to love much, then you must know much forgiveness. I know that you would. You know, a spring brings with it a, a renewing of spirit, a, a stirring of hope, kind of, you know, just that satisfaction of being alive. So may the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it, it brings for you eternal life. The stirring of, of glorious hope, the, the renewing of spirit and, and soul. May you know the feeling of being clean, of being made whole. May you know the, the, the feeling of being fully accepted without any fear of what may be lacking in you, of what may be found out about you. May you know what it is to hear the Good Shepherd speak your name, your heart to be stirred by his voice, and the blessings, the joyous blessings of being received by him. For he's no longer on the cross. He's no longer lying in the tomb. Christ is risen. And he calls your name. Our God, may we hear our name being spoken. Spoken by the risen Lord. I give you thanks for all those who have heard it and, and, and know his voice. And know the joy of being forgiven much. And I pray that for any here who even now may, may not have heard that voice, but that they would now hear, that they would recognize the voice of their Lord Jesus Christ and know that they have been forgiven much. And so the, the weeping of sorrow will be dispelled. In our Lord's name, amen. And let us uh, continue our worship. Uh, through the hymn that you will find in the insert, Thine Being the Glory. And let me, let me note something on there, because as you come to the end, you'll see one line has been cut off. What it is, it's the chorus. If you just go back to the first verse, that repeats what that closing line is. Okay? So let's stand and sing together. You'll remain standing as you are as a choir. We'll close with the Hallelujah Chorus. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.